Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Play to pod. Good morning, Play to Podders. This is Dr. Ruth Glynn Owen bringing you episode three of series two of Play to Pod, Meet the Experts. I'm really, really excited today to bring you an interview with one of my greatest friends over in the US, um, Dr. Karen Levine. Dr. Karen Levine and I have known each other for a very long time and she was uh, really instrumental in helping me with my doctoral thesis and hosting me in Boston when I went over to do interviews with parents of children who'd had a recent autism diagnosis in Massachusetts. Karen's going to be talking about her specialist area which is treating children with autism and other developmental delays who may have anxiety and phobias. Treating anxiety and phobia in children with autism and other developmental delays is not always something that happens that successfully or at all. So Karen's work, along with Naomi Ted, who are also interviewing in this podcast series, has been really instrumental in helping me understand how best to approach this area with the children that we work with. And Karen will talk in more detail about this when we speak to her, but the fact that you can use play and humour to really um, help children with autism overcome some of the anxieties that may have quite a negative effect on a child's life longer term if they're left untreated. So for children that find the sensory issues in life really tricky, there are really good effective ways to support that and to help children overcome some of those phobias in a fun and really humorous way. (laughs) Okay, so in today's podcast, I'm going to be talking to Dr. Karen Levine, who is a specialist in anxiety and phobia treatment for children with developmental disabilities, including autism. Um, So thank you very much for coming on Play to Pod, Karen. It's lovely to have you. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And hello, Maine, today. It was hello, Boston, (laughs) previously, even though it's hello, Maine. Is it nice and sunny there? No, it's a little grey. It's kind of that season in between snow and summer. <laughs> I'm typical British talking about the weather, aren't I? <laughs> right, right. Um, so just to introduce yourself, do you want to tell us a little bit about how you started off in the field of child development, um, psychology, and maybe a brief overview of your experience to date? Okay, so I'm a child psychologist, and I started, um, before I went to graduate school, I worked in, in a daycare with kids, toddlers and early preschoolers, and I just love that age, that age range. Um, and lots of the little kids were scared of things because little kids are. So they would be scared of going outside or scared of bugs or scared of loud noises or new people or all those typical fears or dogs. And, um, and I had so much fun playing with them through their fears. We'd play pretend and we'd act it out and we'd play little bits of it at a time. And, um, and that's where I really started getting really interested in this and working on this approach that I developed and used to this day. And then um, after graduate school, I started working with kids with autism at Children's Hospital in Boston on the autism team. And I um, um, studied floor time and ABA and, and, um, but I was still really interested in anxiety and so many kids with autism have anxiety. And around Mm -hmm. that time, I also worked with kids with Williams syndrome and 
and almost every kid with Williams syndrome has anxiety and specific phobias. And so I kept refining this kind of gradual exposure way of using pretend and playfulness to help mm -hmm. the kids work through the things they were scared of. Um, and, and then I've kept on doing that over the years, working with kids who have some kind of developmental issue, but then I often focus in on working around through work, helping them and their parents work through the things they're scared of, their fears and phobias. And, and sometimes people say, well, how do you know if it's a normal fear or phobia or because they have a disability? And I say, it doesn't matter if it's something important to you and the child that you want to be able to do or you need to be able to do, like go to the doctor or go mm -hmm. to a birthday party, then it's worth working on. It doesn't matter if it's normal or not normal. It does, you know, I don't think of that distinction, really. And it can be the difference in the kind of quality of life for some families, can't it? To be able to, like you say, go to the doctors and not have a very distressed child or to be able to go to a restaurant when it's a little bit noisy and not have to worry about your child having a meltdown. Um, and you've written three books as well, haven't you? So you've written your book on with them, co-authored with Naomi Chad that we interviewed as well um on replays do you want to tell us a little bit about replays because i love replays and i think it's really important that people know a bit more about this approach because it's so powerful yeah i mean replays is kind of a, sp a spin-off of play therapy mixed with a little bit of um behaviorism thrown in i guess so it's really using using pretend play around whatever level the child can understand to help reenact the thing that they're scared of in a way that they can be in charge of that make it not scary for them. So if they're, let's say they're scared, um, I don't know, scared of a fan or something, then you might have the doll go near the fan and scream and be scared and in a playful way, like, ah, I'm scared and run away. And then they might think it's funny and hand the doll back to you. So you do it again and they laugh and they hand the doll back and you do it again. Um, and then they might make the doll do it. And in the meantime, they're getting close to the fan or something like that, some sequence like that. So replays is, is pretty much using pretend um, um, pretend reenactments um, to help kids get used to whatever it is you're trying to help them get used to. Mm -hmm. And I think it's that gradual exposure through play that's the most powerful part because you're making the child laugh whilst they're still being exposed to something they're a little bit frightened of or very frightened of in some cases. And it's so, so effective. We've used it for years, as you know, because you trained me in it. <laughs> Very grateful for that input. Um, but we had a child, you know, just one example was a little boy who was so frightened of having his hair cut and so frightened of the, the clippers, the buzz cut. Um, and we did some replays with him and the staff member was working with the clippers and they weren't plugged in and they were just pretending. <laughs> and the, the staff member turned around to... Um, I don't know, maybe just like tidy something up. And the next thing you know, he heard the clippers <laughs> on <laughs> very near his hair. <laughs> so he very, very nearly got his own haircut. But that was how quickly that child had become accustomed to the clippers and how quickly that child had decided he wasn't scared anymore so he was going to cut this person's hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it It so often happens. I always say you know, yesterday's phobia is tomorrow's passion, that the thing a child is scared of, maybe it's the sound of sirens or something, and then a little while later, they want to see every fire engine they can and they want to be a firefighter or whatever, or an ambulance driver or something. So often it goes from a lot of fear to then they master it and want to be in charge of it and hold the clippers. Yeah. And it's that control aspect that that graduate exposure can give the child because they have choice within that place and area as to how far they want to go. And it's never forced. Um, and I think that's the important thing about the fact that phobias and anxiety can be treated for children that have these developmental differences um, because we see a lot of the time when children are diagnosed with autism in particular that is not accounted for at all the, the treatment part doesn't come into it and everybody 
judgment is really that this is just part of autism it's a sensory issue and the child just needs to be either taken away from that thing and never exposed to it or given something like ear defenders to stop the exposure to that loud noise they don't like rather than this gradual idea that actually you can overcome that phobia and you can have a bit more of a a kind of I mean happier life really if you're out and about and hear a motorbike if you've been through a kind of desensitization you're not going to have a massive reaction to that every time you hear it um so there's a very different approach here I think around that kind of deficit model of autism and now it's just part of the autism there's nothing you can do exactly and I think you know parents are very willing to do whatever their child needs so parents get very used to oh we can't we can't sing happy birthday to them because they're scared of that we can't have candles because they they freak out with that and you start to feel like well that's what we need to do for this child because they have autism or they have special needs and then you don't realize that there are ways you can treat those things and then the child can enjoy the activity whatever it is that you're sort of working around all the time yeah and it is it makes such a massive difference to like I say the quality of family life as well because you know it's not very fair on siblings if nobody can ever sing happy birthday to them for 18 years exactly because their younger brother or sister who may have autism or even William syndrome just doesn't want them to sing that song so that kind of idea of doing it through play and from a psychology perspective why is that so effective do you think in terms of that exposure paired with the play Well, I think partly what happens when we avoid things, then the only time the child is, let's say they got scared the first time they had a haircut. Let's say it blew their mind, the big noise and the clippers and the bzzz and the feeling of it and the sound of it. They didn't know that could happen, so they were scared. So then they get scared of everything associated with it, the sound and the feeling and the look of it. So then maybe the parents wait until their hair is, you know, down to their shoulders and they take them in and cut it again. And they're already scared because they were scared before and they Um, So then they're scared again and they never get to relearn. Oh, it's just the clippers. Oh, that's just the feeling on my head. Oh, that's Mm -hmm. just the sound. So they don't have a chance to get used to it. But if you do what I call unbundling and kind of help them get used to each piece of it at a time, what it looks like, what it feels like, what it sounds like in a little bit of time when they're not in a scared state. So it's not when you're actually going to the haircut or, you know, when, when the thing is actually, when you're actually surprised, hear the siren coming around the corner, mm-hmm. you, you practice it when they're in a really happy, playful state with you. So then they get a new emotional memory associated with, with the feel of it or the sight of it. And you give, do the graduate exposure in such a manageable way. So when they're happy, when they're having fun with you, and when they're just getting a piece of the thing that upsets them, a piece of what we call the trigger, just the sound of it, or just the sight of it, or or just a, you know, such a playful pretend aspect of it that it's not scary at all. Mm-hmm. And I think as well, the the fact that there's a lot of, there's a lot of interesting videos on YouTube. <laughs> so if you have a child, I had another example of a little boy that was really frightened of pigeons flying at him and he lived in London and his parents used to like to take him to the park and there's a lot of pigeons in London. We did some replays with that. There's not a lot of pigeon toys, but there's some bird toys we could use and, and use the puppet and, you know, scared of the, the puppet was scared of the birds flying at him. But we actually found a lot of um, YouTube clips of people being chased by pigeons and (laughs) some of them are quite funny so he actually like a lot of his kind of exposure to that was through silly YouTube clips so there's a lot of weird stuff out there whatever you're looking for whatever you're looking for it'll be on YouTube I was just doing birds with a kid too similar she would come spring she doesn't want to go outside because there are too many bird sounds that scare her Mm -hmm. and the flying scares her and we were doing and yeah there's one where a guy's holding his hand out and crows are eating Cheerios off his hand and you can see the Cheerios and, you know, she <laughs> likes Cheerios. And so they're sort of funny. If you can find any that are a little funny, 
Um, and you can play them with no sound. You can play them slowly, play them backwards, you know, if, if you can make it funny. Or you can put, uh, you can pretend the bird is talking. You can pretend a different soundtrack than what the YouTube soundtrack is and make it funny <laughs> for the child. A voiceover. <laughs> yeah, you can do your own voiceover. Or you can use a figure that the child likes, a, a puppet or, or a superhero or some figure that the child likes or a dinosaur or something. And you can have that figure be scared like don't show me that no 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 and cover up have it pretend to cover its eyes and then have the child scare the the dinosaur or whatever it is and depending on the child's level of understanding as well there's a bit of explanation you can put in there as well isn't there so the puppet can explain why that's scary so I don't you know don't fly at me I don't like it because it makes too much noise and you try and maybe think about what it is that the child's like you say that unbundling thinking about what it is of that situation that the child isn't isn't enjoying and is really frightened of. Right. And sometimes you just don't know. Sometimes the kids don't even know, even if they had great language and could, could explain it, they're just scared of the whole thing. I don't know. I'm just scared of it. I don't know. I just don't like it is even what you sometimes get even older kids saying um, because they have such bad associations to all of it. Yeah. And then when you unbundle it, you can kind of see, oh, looking at it seems fine. So I guess it's not the way it looks. And then you can kind of figure out, oh, when I play it louder, they really startle. That must mm-hmm. be it. So you can kind of figure it out as you unbundle it too. So what are the most common anxieties or phobias you would see with children who have autism, for example? Yeah, well, I, I always say they're the, they're the first phobias developmentally. They're the more concrete sensory-based phobias like bu- bugs. Now, the bathrooms here are, are bad. Like the public bathrooms have the self-flushing toilets and the, and the hand dryers. I don't think they're hand as dryers, bad, are they yeah. there? We have the Dyson hand dryers now. We have had probably for about 10 years now, if not more. Yeah. And they are, you know, just take somebody walking past that. And if you're a yeah. child of a certain height and you walk under a Dyson hand dryer, you can completely appreciate why you would then develop a phobia of that because it just goes off in your face. Uh, exactly. And people say, well, go in and don't use the hand dryer, but you don't know who else is in there or, or yeah. like you say, it goes off. There's no way. control. Over and there, it there are lots of great YouTubes of videos of hand dryers. You can also make your own homemade videos really mm-hmm. easily using kids' characters or using yourself pretending to be scared I finally broke down and I forget if I had this when you were here with I broke down and bought a hand dryer on Amazon (laughs) (laughs) because I that's commitment yeah I could get kids comfortable looking on YouTube but then they would still be scared all associations with the bathroom Mm -hmm. so their anxiety would go up so much when we go go into the bathroom in the building so I bought one so so I could put it on the ground I can put a little plastic bus in front of it turn it on and goes wee and the bus flies across the floor (laughs) you can put their characters in the bus you can put scarves over it you can dry your hair with it so that really um, changed how accessible it could be. And so first it could be unplugged and the kids, we could pretend it would go off mm-hmm. and then the kids could hide outside the room while I went, let it go off. But they, then they'd want to peek in and see, or I could make the bus shoot out of the room. And so that I found- amazing. I'm going to yeah. go and buy a hand dryer. <laughs> you can really do a lot with it. <laughs> <laughs> the many things that could be your next book, your fourth book, what you can do with a hand dryer. Exactly. Yeah, I remember when you were- purchase. When you're in Lexington and your office space was shared in a shared building, I remember you making videos in the bathroom. <laughs> That's right. I would make the videos in the bathroom of the kids' animals pretending, covering their, the monkey covering his ears <laughs> and stuff like that. Yeah. And the toilets. A lot of kids are scared of toilets. And often it's a combination of the loud sound or maybe they got splashed or maybe um, afraid of going down with the water. And sometimes it's sort of as you're trying to toiletain a kid, they're afraid of the toilets. And that's obviously mm-hmm. not a good combination either. So we can do that kind of similarly. I did and not buy got... a toilet. <laughs> no, but yeah. I do have some toy toilets. And there's a nice toy toilet on Amazon that has the actual flush sound. So that's pretty good. 
That sounds like a nice one to buy. Yeah. <laughs> Toilets and hand dryers on my yeah. list now. I think when I went to, I tell you, you have more um, extreme self-flushing toilets. I in think America. we do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When I went to Chicago O'Hare Airport, is it is that the right one? Oh yeah. yeah. I remember being quite kind of taken aback by the fact that there was this weird plastic film that went over the toilet, and it would move if you pressed the wrong button whilst you were sitting on it. It was all very scary. Ooh, I haven't seen this. <laughs> but I know when we were in Sweden and I did a workshop on fears and phobias with the Williamson Association, the parents said, you know, because a lot of families come to the states for whatever for travel or a year or whatever. So they said their kids did fine in Sweden with the bathrooms, but here they were worse. I think it was the self-flushing toilets, yeah. Yeah, I think it's a lot noisier. Yeah. Toilet, your toilets are a lot noisier. And definitely. the airports especially. <laughs> yes. So the sound-related ones, the and then uh, bugs often, especially in the spring here anyway, when the bugs start coming out, a lot of kids um, are afraid of bugs or certain kinds of bugs or birds, those kinds mm-hmm. of things. Um, so for bugs, sometimes it's it's a combination of, Sometimes parents have said, "Oh, it's a bee." You know, you know. When I, we yeah. have our own panic, obviously the kids pick up on that. That's scary or bad. And then also they, you know, they move suddenly and they can make a noise and they can even hurt. Even a mosquito, you know, can hurt a little when they sting you. So um, bugs is a pretty common one. Also, the way they fly by the sides of your eyes is is what evokes fear in us. You know, like mm-hmm. a threat coming towards you. We're adapt. You know, we're we're adaptively wired that way to be afraid of something quickly moving by by our eyes so for that I sometimes I get the toy plastic bugs are great and then sometimes we'll throw them at each other when they're not scared of that <laughs> and then um, but sometimes kids are too scared to do that so I'll start with like wadded tissue wadded Kleenex and throw that at each other pretend it's bugs <laughs> a parent sitting in your session before you go what are you doing yeah I did have a mother email me after say well it seems to have worked but it's not what I expected to be doing with throwing <laughs> tissues at each other <laughs> I think I have a whole class of, um, well, they they must all be in their 20s now, but when I first started teaching, I met my um, kind of first year of school class. They were still in nursery, still in preschool. I met them for a day before I started in the school and we went to London Zoo and basically they all had fruit and sat at the picnic end of everything and there was wasps everywhere oh. and I ran away from them and over the other side so I could still see them and I was like everybody put your fruits out and run and I wasn't there to support them in any emotional way at all (laughs) probably 25 you know early 20s people now they've probably got massive phobia of wasps because of that one experience with that responsible person spawned (laughs) a whole group phobia right Never take an orange to a picnic. It's just yeah. not a good idea. Especially no. in a zoo, that's probably the worst. <laughs> yeah, and all like bins everywhere, so there's lots of wasps and everything else. Uh, and I think it's that unpredictability of bugs, isn't it? You can't have any control over them. You've got no, you don't know. You can't say, well, they're going to do this, they're going to do that. They might fly into your eye, they might fly into your ear, and that's quite scary right, as well. Right, right, the unpredictable motion like bats and mm-hmm. birds too, to some extent, yeah. And then some children don't like to watch something go away, do they? Like a balloon or butterflies. Or I remember um, you had a couple of clients when I came to see you in Boston that you were working on with them. We we were releasing helium balloons, and another one we were releasing butterflies. That's right. I'd forgotten that. Yeah, this. I think it's. I think it's sort of separation gone awry. You know, mm-hmm. the, the fear of separation, which sometimes is with flushing the toilet too, in the other direction. But yeah, things floating away can be really upsetting to kids like they're disappearing you know and that's unnerving because kids are just figuring it out it's like 
what can people do? Can people disappear like that? You know, would, would the person suddenly go up in the sky like the balloon and disappear? So it is, it is a bit scary for kids. Yeah. And we were releasing butterflies. Yeah. That was, I don't remember what that fear was. Something to do with similar. I think, I think he was scared Mm -hmm. of butterflies and then also of them flying away, the landing on him and flying away. That was a tricky one because we did all the pretend stuff, but it's hard to really have a lot of butterflies you play with every week. <laughs> it's a little harder <laughs> to work on. Yeah, they don't last for very long. No, exactly. <laughs> um, and then it, we, we've also, um, you know, looked at um, children who have, or worked with children who have anxieties around, you know, those social experiences, social situations of winning a game, losing a game, of having to have a conversation with somebody, of having to sit next to someone that might be eating something that they don't like. Um, so replays can be useful for, for those kind of scenarios as well, can't Definitely. And I call those the more advanced phobias. (laughs) I mean, you can have them all. You can definitely have the sensory phobias at any age, but then the winning and losing is a little more abstract. Um, And for winning and losing, I often say, sometimes I'll I'll do it pretend like they can be a dinosaur and you can be a soldier or whatever it is. And they can play winning and losing pretend through the characters. So it's not them. But still, I recommend really quick games like a coin toss game, heads or tails kind of. I don't know. Do you call it heads or tails over Mm -hmm. there? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) I don't know. We don't have tails in the coins either. (laughs) I don't know what that's from. Heads or tails uh, with a coin toss. Or you can just do, if they're into cards, you could do higher and lower like like reward type game, but don't have it build up. Like don't play shoots and ladders or something that you build mm. up and then you lose or candy land or something. You want to play something that's, and then, then usually I'll have like a pretend trash can or a bucket or a cup and I'll just throw the, the, like if you do a coin toss, then you throw the coin in, get another coin toss, throw the coin in. So it's over and done with, you know, so you yeah. really symbolically throw it away and start again, throw it away and start again. So you, so they get a lot of times of, of winning or losing kind of randomly over mm-hmm. time. Um, without uh, having it build up and again using a toy or a character they enjoy to kind of almost reenact their reaction to losing right you can have their their puppet or their dinosaur be so upset no I want to win I never want to lose ever 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 I hate (laughs) losing. you can go on like that and they can say you know a lot of kids know the drill and they'll say oh you know you win some you lose some or it's how you play the game or whatever they've been told they might tell the character that but um, yeah it's about having fun with your friends exactly it's about having fun it's like no it's not it's about winning I like to win. I love a- your voices I remember the video clips you made for us with a shared client and it was about I think it might have been something to do with the bath or bathrooms or taps or something yes I remember you had we- some brilliant yeah. voices <laughs> we were stay. I remember we were staying at a bed and breakfast somewhere on Cape Cod and somehow they needed the video right away. So I went into the guest bathroom and was videoing. <laughs> <laughs> the interesting places you filmed your desensitization. Yeah, definitely, right, right. <laughs> I always used to love you telling me about the bathrooms in Lexington because I always wondered what the, the dental hygienist office would come and use them. And be That's thinking, right. What is this woman doing with the puppet on the hand dryers and screaming? I know, I really wonder, yeah. Well, and when I was, you know, I've been collaborating with Bonnie Klein Tasman, a psychologist in Milwaukee, and she's doing a research study on tracking the progress. We got some very nice um, preliminary results. Um, but the, um, we had, we had several kids f- afraid of hand dryers and toilet things there. So we, but we had to use the university public bathrooms and I, cause that's what there was. And I really wonder what the students thought. And <laughs> we were not only doing these crazy things, but we were filming them. <laughs> They're students, though. They probably see that every week. That's right, probably. <laughs> like, 
like a tiny so nickel. In, in terms of your research study, um, do you want to tell us a bit more about that? Because I know that was something that was um, just starting probably the last time we spoke. Yeah, so I guess it's in its, I don't know, third year, fourth year, I'm, I've lost track now. So with Bonnie Klein-Tasman's a psychologist at um, University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, and mm-hmm. and she's a research psychologist, and one of, among other things, and one of the things she studies is anxiety treatments. Um, and she's also very involved with Williams Syndrome. So, so she got a grant through the Williams Syndrome Association to manualize this approach so other therapists could use it, mm-hmm. um, and then also to track the progress of kids. And so we, we've had um, maybe, I don't know, five um, clinics. So I go to Milwaukee for three or four days and we, um, you know, clinic kids come. She advertises and kids with Williamson come who have phobias and, and, and we model treatment. And what we'd intended to do was just kind of show the parents the treatment and how to do it and try it out on the kids and tinker with it. Mm-hmm. But we had... Um, a significant proportion of the kids got better just in our um, couple of days of doing this. Um, and, and the sessions were all in a row, like it might have been three days that we would see a kid, you know, an hour one day, an hour the next day, and two hours of the wrap-up day or something like mm-hmm. that. And it turns out that that often is a pretty effective way to treat a kid because you can sort of get it do, get, do a lot of it at once. Mm-hmm. Um, and you kind of hit the ground running and figure out what works for that kid. And then they come back and you know, have, have some more fun. They thought it was just like fun and games. <laughs> <laughs> so and that's the thing about replays and this type of play-based, um, almost behavioral play-based anxiety treatment, um, that it really is very fast as well when you get it right. And that child has that click with that, you know, funny scenario and they start to really, you know, open up to that. It's very, very fast. Right, um, especially for the, for the sensory-based ones because often they're yeah. – physiological system can easily tolerate whatever it is that we feel like, oh, they just can't tolerate it. It's just that they've emotionally kind of feel they can't. And then once they mm-hmm. feel they can, it's, it gets much better. So what's been the most, I guess, the quickest, I mean, it was also fast. We've seen it happen, like I said, in, you know, the space of 15 minutes. But what's been the most um, remarkable change in a child um, that you've done replays with? Let's see. A lot of these just oh, surprise me again and again. I'm thinking of one one child with a vacuum cleaner, and he was about eight or nine, so it had been quite a few years. He'd been terrified, and they never vacuumed when he was home, and 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 um, you know he would cower if he was around some place he heard a vacuum. And then he started, you know, we did this whole process and super playful and pretend ones and videos of ones, and um, and then we had had it but not plugged in. And then we figured out just for fun to sprinkle little um, colored paper on the floor for like dust to mm-hmm. vacuum up, which he kind of loved. And then you, what's fun is when you vacuum it, it's super effective because you, you make your path right through the colored paper that's all over the floor. <laughs> so he loved that. So so then then he just, you know, we, we said, do you want to try it just for a second? We'll try it. So he's like, okay, okay. And he was really scared, but he tried it just for a second and he got to vacuum a little. And then like, I would say within a half hour of that point, which is maybe the second or third session, maybe the second, I can't remember. He was vacuuming all over and didn't want to stop. And he wanted to do the whole, <laughs> the whole building. It's like, this is great. And I've seen lots of times, almost that relief, like, whoa, you know, you get mm. almost ex- an exhilaration sense when you can master it like that. Yeah, and it's given that child that control over that mm-hmm. item that they've been frightened of. Yeah. Um, have you seen an increase in or d- any different kind of phobias and, and anxieties with clients that you've had over the years 
or new new clients you've maybe taken on since the pandemic so obviously with lockdown there's a lot more stress and pressure for families so I just wondered what how it's maybe affecting children's anxieties and phobias yeah I mean some kids you see um uh their baseline is just higher so some of the old fears are coming back Mm -hmm. a lot of the kids um it's not so much around the house it's more going it's more stuff that happens out in the environment so I'm guessing that for a lot of the kids who who I'm involved with, maybe once they go back to school, it's just kids are just starting to go back to school here now. So mm-hmm. maybe once people are out in the world more and back to school more, you might feel you might see that those phobias more. I mean, a lot of the kids who I see, some of the kids are happy as clams. This has been great. Get to stay home with mom and dad all the time and not have to go out into the big, scary world. And that's been such a relief. Um, so some of the kids are much less anxious than they than they have been, but some it's just stressful for everybody and people trying to work in the house and siblings home and and so some of the old sometimes the old phobias pop back fear the bath again fear the toilet again whatever it is you sometimes see that popping back, but I always tell families if they got over it once they can get over it again and then we go mm-hmm. through the same process again. I think it's effect. Sorry, carry on. <laughs> yeah, just sometimes with elevated anxiety, you see that you see the old ones popping back. It's almost like a you know a well worn path. It's like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. I used to be scared of thinking about fire. Now I'm scared of fire again when I think about mm-hmm. it. That kind of thing. Yeah, and I think it's increasing anxiety in amongst the adults and caregivers as well, isn't it? So that's obviously going to affect the child's emotional regulation, etc. Very much yeah. so, right? Right. You're, if you're all in a little box, all anxious, you're going to bounce off each other. Um, and and I think a lot of that's going to get back to okay once kids are back. Um, mm-hmm. You know, once things return a little more to normal. I would say in the beginning, a lot of the kids I saw were were afraid and more afraid about germs and that kind of thing, understandably, which made sense given the situation. And then, um, then people kind of, a lot of people kind of got used to things unless they had some crisis going on. Um, and I think maybe with the changes coming up, they may go back to getting scared again. I'm not sure. We'll have to see. Yeah, it'd be an interesting research study to see if, you know, taking a cohort of children that had babies before, whether or not they've got more or things have returned and then how stressed their parents or caregivers are and right yeah it would be quite an interesting little study because I think it's affected adults massively um I mean I find myself being anxious about weird things that I probably never worried about before (laughs) yeah exactly it's like really I'm worried about that right and sometimes you feel your old ones come back it's like wow I haven't worried about that for ages right and we've had we live in a shared kind of garden situation and we've had some really interesting things with neighbors that have been on furlough for a very long time and now we have an anxiety about them being in the garden because they're going to build something new (laughs) well building lots of random things in the garden that you know clearly well remember not all anxiety and fears are irrational either i mean that may be a rational feeling (laughs) (laughs) what's next (laughs) and they also keep setting fire to things you know i think that's a rational phobia to be concerned that they're having random fires at the back of the garden wooden decking decking, wooden garages wooden wood piles garden waste that's yeah. not great. Now, now you do have to remember, and that and that kids' fears come from self protection in general. Mm-hmm. They come from trying to protect themselves and protect others. You know, the noise might be danger. It's all like might be danger, might be danger. And so, the mm-hmm. more you feel there's danger around, the more likely you are to to be afraid of something. And it's the important takeaway from this conversation for people listening is that autism, you know, may 
mean that children can be slightly more susceptible to phobias and anxieties but it isn't something that you need to just avoid for the rest of your life it's actually really important to try and do that desensitization and that exposure because like you said you know physiologically that child can actually tolerate that sensory input they just need to learn how to do it in a way that's going to work for them exactly I mean even shots people say well how can how can they get comfortable with shots they hurt but they can get comfortable with not being scared of being at the doctor being in the hospital you know and 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 not not feel like it's a danger just like Mm -hmm. oh that's going to hurt a little but then I'll be okay kind of feeling and for children that have ongoing health problems as well as anxieties or phobias and other developmental issues and autism we've worked with a few children that have needed to have ongoing hospital treatment and we've worked using replays with those children and it's really changed their life they've gone into the hospital the next time and been quite happy about it because you know we've maybe primed the doctor to let them play out the stethoscope game that we've done with the puppet and they've just absolutely got over all the kind of almost automatic fear they had when they used to go to the door of the hospital right and then once a kid has been not anxious at the doctor just getting to experience it without all the anxiety can really uh, treat a lot of those all at once sometimes what I'll do with that is um, if we've done a lot of doctor play or shots or stethoscope or blood pressure I'll make a video and then suggest that when the parents are actually taking them to the doctor they watch the video with the child and show it to the doctor a video of them mm-hmm. having a blast you know laughing and laughing around some of these games <laughs> <laughs> and if you have a nice doctor they sometimes will be quite up for doing a bit of play and reenactment um, but you know we also a lot of the children that we're working with when they're at the early stages of diagnosis maybe have to go for blood tests and quite often that is the trigger point that that then it leads to them being really quite phobic with hospitals and doctors because there isn't always the time given to those children and they get pinned down and restrained right. and horrible needles stuck into their arm and maybe the blood doesn't come out the first time so we've got to get it done again and you know a lot of children that we've worked with over the years have never been scared of hospital before or a doctor and suddenly had this horrible experience and that's right. very hard to do at that point exactly right and that's where like you say, slowing down and finding someone who will take the time. Or if you can't find a, 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 a healthcare professional that will, then see if you can schedule a visit that's not a medical visit where you go and visit yeah. and hang out there and play in the playroom. And-, and I think that's a little bit easier maybe in the US because you have a certain kind of, there's a difference in the healthcare systems, isn't there? Uh, yeah. And I guess that when you're using health services in the US, you're you're pretty much a customer or a client, aren't you? Whereas here, it's not. There's not a lot of choice involved, and I think right. you've kind of just got to go and do what you're told to do because it's a free health service. Right, um, and there's sometimes that difference in treatment. That's true. I'm sure there is. Although I'd take your system any day, but still. <laughs> but yeah, I'm sure it's. I'm sure it's harder. Whereas here, there's certain there's certain um, clinics that get a reputation for being good with kids with special needs, and so you, yeah. you have often you have some choice. It depends what you, what you have, but more likely you have some choice which is nice yeah choice is really important when it comes to trying to make sure that your child has a good experience of something that could be scary um so if you had I guess top three tips for a parent who has a child who may have some developmental challenges and they recognize that they've got quite a significant phobia what would be your kind of first three kind of tips or top three tips you'd give them for first steps to kind of help well let's see first you want to figure out if it's something that 
you know, is really going to benefit from treating, you know, something important in your life. Like I saw one child, we'd worked through everything they were scared of. And then he said, but I'm scared of alligators too. And I was like, yeah, but that's not really <laughs> going to affect your day-to-day -day life. So I don't think we'll Unless work you live on in that. Florida. Yeah, right, right. That's true. So you want to make sure it's something, you know, working on it is really going to improve things, which usually parents know right away that's the case for. And then, um, um, then you want to see if you can figure out, you know, do a little detective work, like look at, look at the, you may know right away, but what it is about the, the thing that's scaring the child. Is it the, is it the whole, usually it's the whole experience. You want to do some unbundling, then think, consider the sensory aspects, the touch, the look, the smell, the feel of it. And then other associated aspects is, does the whole thing scare the child? Are they worried about something abstract or sick or losing or separation or something or is it more just these concrete aspects and then you want to do some uh pretend play if the child has pretend or look at some videos or approach from a distance and kind of see how close you can get to the actual situation you know mm -hmm. can you look at can you look at videos of bugs can you go outside and see if you can find some together you know see how close you can get and then um then you want to think about what's super fun and funny to that child what do they think is funny and it could be something simple you know some kids it's like singing the alphabet song but sticking in the wrong letters you know a b c d e f w you know some kids will crack <laughs> up and think that's all right see whatever it is see if you can do something some kids it's 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 something goofy or silly whatever makes your child laugh do something that's super playful and makes them laugh often having uh getting pretend startled pretend afraid in a way that's very playful will be really funny for a child particularly if it's something they're afraid of so you pretend to be mm -hmm. afraid i'm not touching that bug no way no 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 and they and they'll kind of look at you but if you make it playful enough they might think it's funny um and if they won't do that in real life with you go out you can make a video of yourself doing that um or your or one of your other kids if you have if you can enlist siblings that's often really helpful Less embarrassing if you're in a park in the middle yeah, of a right. park in the city right. and you're trying to pretend to scream at bugs. Yeah. <laughs> and remember, when you're pretending to be afraid, it's really satirical. So you want to give enough what uh, Darwin called signals of play. Use a silly voice, have exaggerated, playful fear signs. You don't want the child to think you're actually afraid. You want to make it goofy afraid. <laughs> you don't want to scream. Right. <laughs> Something exactly. out of a horror movie. <laughs> going to make it worse. Right, right, right exactly. Because what you're doing is not only doing gradual exposure to the actual thing, but gradual exposure to the whole idea of fear, that fear can be a, fear can, doesn't have to be such a scary thing. To be a little mm -hmm. bit afraid can be a, a, a thing you share together and play out together. Well, fantastic. I think that'd be really useful for families, especially in the UK, where that kind of treatment isn't really something that's offered. Um, and also reading your book. I mean, both of your books on anxiety um, co-authored with Naomi are fantastic. So the Replays book is just a really great start, isn't it? And that explains everything in, in the kind of detail that a parent would need. Um, and then Attacking Anxiety as well has got a lot of really good examples in there. Yeah, Attacking Anxiety, we tried to get very specific. And in the back, we kind of have an index of ways to unbundle some common things like hair washing and some other things like that that are likely to be everyday things. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of commonalities, especially with children with autism, with hair washing, hair cutting, yeah. all those kind of sensory things that people then tell you to avoid. And, you know, you've got a child with <laughs> like shoulder length or waist right. length hair right. <laughs> at exactly. the age of four because you've just been told to avoid all the hairdressers. And um, you can't wash it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they've probably got like, you know, clogged hair. Lovely. Because I end up working with a lot of uh, preschool kids who just mainly have anxiety or they might have anxiety and language delay or something like that. Mm -hmm. And these kind of approaches work really well because, you know, there's 
cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT that's very commonly used for older kids with anxiety who have a lot of language. Mm -hmm. Um, But these kind of approaches work well for kids who aren't yet ready to do all that kind of talking therapy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's really action-based. Yeah. And it's in the moment and it's again with things they can understand. And and the slapstick humor is really important as well, isn't it? That yeah, slapstick is is a good way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's been lovely to talk to you. To visit this way, even. I know it is. (laughs) Less less of a flight, really, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) Surrounded by people in masks. It's hard to picture flying again. You know, it's hard to imagine traveling again, but maybe we'll just get used to it. That's what I wonder if it's going to be everybody gets used to it instantly. I don't think kids will get used to it instantly because no, it's such it a big been, portion of their life. Yeah, especially the little ones that we see. I mean, a lot of those children have just really not experienced any kind of social at all. I know. Parents. I know. Um, we've got a few kids under the age of two that would ideally, you know, the little little groups and little nursery groups we used to run. And they just really haven't been exposed yeah. to anyone apart from their parents. It's quite scary. But maybe we'll have to start doing replays for people to be able to fly again. <laughs> uh, yeah, I can't imagine. <laughs> you it. could really absolutely can. produce loads of like videos and books around That's trying to get. Right. Yeah. Because just flying, your anxiety's up anyway. And then well, mine uh, is. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> I think that you gave me when I had my mosquito bites. I had some Benadryl, didn't I? From um, and it's always stronger in the states. And I think I had some um, gin or vodka or something. Yeah. <laughs> so like, and then when I went That's on the aeroplane, yeah. I had I had another Benadryl and a, and a drink, and I was like out of it. It was brilliant. <laughs> well, that's why, yeah, people drink so much flying. I think <laughs> one time we were stuck in one of the airports. There were terrible storms, and we we're stuck there overnight. And the airport um, ran out of food, but they didn't run out of drinks. So everybody. Was <laughs> that's the best kind of airport. Yeah, though, isn't it? Was, yeah I think it was Atlanta. Yeah. Thank you so much to Karen for joining us on the episode and we're eternally grateful to her for all the support she's given us over the years Um, and it's been great to catch up with her. We hope you found that really useful whether you're a parent or a professional in the field. Um, Treating phobias and anxiety using play is one of the most effective tools that I've come across in my journey uh, working with children with autism and we'd encourage you to have a look at the books that Karen and Naomi have co-authored um, called replays that's the the approach that has some research being done now in uh, Milwaukee um, particularly with children with Williams syndrome um, looking at the benefits of using a playful approach to support children to overcome their anxieties and phobias and um, also the book Attacking Anxiety which is more specific for children with autism. If you think we might be able to help you we are available on www.blueskyautism.com or www.playtotalk.co.uk Thank you.